Pastor Xavier Reese offers this simple truth about redemption. God does not violate man's free will, but whoever believes in Jesus shall be saved, John 3.16. The whosoever are those who choose to believe. The whoso wants are the ones who perish. People don't perish by God's predestination or election. That would make them unjust. If you end up in hell, it's not by accident, it's by choice. You choose to go there by rejecting the gospel. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. If the gospel is the true essence of peace, joy, hope, and love, then why are so many perishing without receiving this life-changing simple truth? Today, as Pastor Xavier continues his study of the Epistle of 2 Corinthians, he helps shed some light on this unfortunate fact. Yet he also offers the life-changing truth of the gospel to all who would freely receive it. In 1752, Whitfield wrote to Benjamin Franklin the following, quote, As I find you growing more and more famous in the world of letters, I recommend to your unprejudiced study of the mystery of the new birth. It is a most important study, and if mastered, will abundantly repay you. I bid you, dear friend, remember that he before whose bar we must both soon appear has solemnly declared that without it, we shall in no wise see his kingdom. What a great faithful witness unintimidated, just straightforward to the leaders of the nation. How great that is. Paul declared his absolute confidence in the ministry of the new covenant to save the sinner. 2 Corinthians 4, 1 through 6. Every generation, people have to choose one or the other. The gospel must be effective first in those preaching. Notice here in verse 3, the Apostle Paul declared that the ineffectiveness of the gospel is not due to the inferior quality of the gospel. You can't blame the Word of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, Paul admits that even though they preach the gospel with clarity and integrity, sometimes the gospel remains veiled to the hearer and he's not converted. The Apostle Paul declared the Ineffectiveness of the gospel is due to the quality of the hearer. He said those who are perishing are those who have a veil over their hearts to believe that Jesus is the only way to be saved in chapter 3, verse 16. Notice Paul is not saying that the gospel is veiled to them by God, but by their own choice. Otherwise, God would be unfair. The word perishing there means to be lost, ruined, or destroyed, as I said. Now, I want you to listen carefully to the Greek scholar Lenski about this word in the tense. Listen carefully. He says, this is the substantivized present participle, describing them as being in the act of slowly perishing, going into everlasting death. This is not due to the irrevocable decrees of God, meaning predestination or election, for that would make God unloving, unkind, and unholy. So, Reformed theology, Calvinism, is unbiblical. It accuses God of being unholy, 
partial and unjust. In fact, it's a different gospel, even as Paul said about the Jews. Twice he uses the perfect passive tense, Lenski says. Literally, having been veiled and now remains veiled is what it says. This is due to the hardness of the heart to the preaching of the gospel and rejecting it. The perishing is their own doing, not God's. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, 2 Peter 3.9. God does not violate man's free will, but whoever believes in Jesus shall be saved, John 3.16. The whosoever are those who choose to believe and are open to the gospel. The whoso wants are the ones who perish. 1 John 2.2 2 says, and Jesus is the propitiation for our sins, our is the believer. And then he says, not only ours, but the whole world. If that was the only verse, that refutes Calvinism. He didn't die for the chosen frozen. People don't perish by God's predestination or election. That would make him unjust. If you end up in hell, it's not by accident, it's by choice. You choose to go there by rejecting the gospel. By believing God. Look at four. The Apostle Paul declared the ineffectiveness of the gospel is due to the hindrance of Satan. Now, Satan is called the God of this age. The God there is with a small g, Theos, but it's used in the sense of ruler, not in the sense of equal to God. Satan is created being Lucifer, the cherub in heaven, as you know, who rebelled against God and he threatened to overthrow God. Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, and Revelation 12, 4, he drew a third of the angels from heaven in rebellion. Now, Satan is identified by many other titles. Let me give you some. Jesus said this in John 12, 31 and 14, 30. Now is the judgment of this world. Now is the ruler of this world will be cast out. The ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me. I am sinless. He cannot touch me, cannot accuse me. Paul calls him Satan. Or he calls Satan the prince of the power of the air in Ephesians 2, 2. Uh, the spirit that works down the children of disobedience. John tells us that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one, Poneros, 1 John 5, 19. There's just a few. There are many others. Now, Satan's rule is in this age, notice that, eon. The word refers to the marked out period of man in his fallen state and Satan's activity from the fall in the garden to the present to the Lord returns. The age stands in opposition to the age to come when Jesus will set up his kingdom. But Jesus will rule supreme. The Jews always refer to the present age, the evil, and the age to come, the messianic age. Now notice Satan has and is blinding the minds of the unbeliever, men and women, young adults, whose minds the God of this age has blinded who do not believe. It goes back to personal responsibility. Again, the problem is the heart. The battle's in the mind. <laughs> the ability of Satan is not to rob the gospel of its power or glory, but only to blind men to the gospel preached by attacking their thoughts 
through three gateways. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, pride of life. The same ones as were used by him in Genesis in the garden. The attempts of Satan to blind the minds of sinner is never against man's will, by the way. Otherwise, God would be unjust again. They are given illumination and conviction by the Holy Spirit when they're hearing the gospel. We've already seen what Lenski said. It's a slowly deteriorating, perishing by having heard and rejecting the gospel. Okay? They are responsible for their own blindness, not by accepting the gospel due to the hardness of the heart. So the antidote for blindness is opening one's heart to the gospel. If you reject the antidote, you cannot blame the one preaching the gospel or the one who gave the gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ. You who have rejected the solution. Satan's purpose for blinding men is that they not believe the gospel and be saved. It's simple. Satan works to keep men and women from seeing the majesty of Jesus. See, Satan doesn't mind you saying, oh, Jesus, he's such a nice guy. Boy, he's just a good man. Prophet. That's not good enough. You must agree with what the Bible says. The gospel says about Jesus. Lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. The gospel is light. The act of enlightening, illuminating the sinner of being lost in sin. That comes through the preaching of the gospel. The light gets turned on and you see who you are for the first time. And you can say, oh, he is God. He is the Savior. It comes through the gospel. Particularly the Jews, for Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And he's dealing with Jewish opponents. Today, still, Jews have a veil over their face as they read the Old Testament. They acknowledge Jesus is a good man, a prophet, but not Messiah. That's not good enough. That's why judgment has come upon the Jews. Jesus cried over Jerusalem and pronounced judgment over them. You shall not see me until you see, say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He wept over them. Matthew 23, 37 to 39. Same works to keep men and women from seeing the deity of Jesus, who is the image of God. The word image, icon means figure or likeness. The word is used of the image of Caesar on a coin in Matthew 22, 2. Paul uses the word to declare that Jesus is the visible form of the invisible God in Colossians 1.15. Those are just a few passages where the Bible says Jesus is God. Thomas said, my Lord, my God. <laughs> he didn't say, my God, are you Lord? No. He said, my Lord and my God. He says, should shine on them. The meaning is clear, to save them from their sins that they not continue to perish or in the state of perishing and ultimately perish in all eternity and for all eternity. God wants you to be saved. God wants to forgive you. God wants to transform you. It's all based on whether you believe the gospel or not. The parable of the sower illustrates Paul's 
teaching to the Corinthians here perfectly. A sower went out to sow seed, cast some by the wayside. And all the four soils speak of the heart. The first one, the waste, that's hard. It's where people walk. The seed can't penetrate. And Satan comes and whoom, snatches up the seed. The word is harpasso. Same word for the rapture. Suddenly, violently, from the heart, from the earth to the sky. Before that seed can penetrate your heart, he takes it. But he can't do it without your permission. If Satan can do it without your permission, how does he get your permission? By you rejecting the gospel. If you reject the gospel, he snatches that seed. But if God allows you to hear the gospel, you get the choice. You open your heart, the word can save you. You remain hard, it's taken away. Wow. The scriptures tell us that Satan is like a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour, 1 Peter 5.8. How does the blinding of Satan to the believer, non-believer first, and the sovereignty of God work as he initiates salvation through the gospel in man's free will? I don't know. No one can understand it to its full end. But let me give you some very important principles. In 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 26, Paul tells Timothy, God is using preaching and teaching as part of it. He says, and a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance, the non-believer, so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil having been taken captive by him to do his will. Satan takes the non-believer captive to do Satan's will only as long as a non-believer continues to reject the gospel. Once his heart is open to the gospel and he calls upon the Lord, Satan has no ability to keep you from the gospel. It's a choice. Now, there are Christians who use the phrase to bind Satan when they pray, especially in Pentecostal circles, and certainly they probably use it for the lost. I bind you, Satan, you know, and especially they put that fierce voice and loud, a little louder and all that, as if Satan's supposed to go, ooh, you know, no, really. It's, it's peanut butter jam theology, you know what I mean? It's, it's not biblical. The passages that contain the expression to bind and to loosen in the old King James, uh, if they're examined, they reveal that that type of theology is totally foreign to the text. You find it in uh, Matthew 12, 29, uh, for the demon-possessed girl binding the strong man. In 16, 19, Jesus told Peter, your name is Cephas, or Stone, and he told him, to you, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom, whatever you bind, bind, loose, and loose for the opening of the day of Pentecost. And then the third one is in Matthew 18, 18. Uh, whatever you agree on earth, two or three are gathered. It'll, whatever I allow, I allow and permit and permit. That's for church discipline. Only three times, all three are out of context. It says nothing about having authority to bind Satan. It's for church discipline. That's the context. The terms were used by the Jews for allowing and disallowing, permitting and not permitting. In fact, the New King James will translate them like that, which is more appropriate. 
When God initiates salvation, he gives man the ability to choose or he would be the author of confusion and unjust. When God initiates salvation, man can resist the gospel by his own free will or by the blinding of Satan leading to death, depending on the individual's openness of heart. What part does prayer play in salvation and man being blinded by Satan? How does God work this out? I don't know. It's not my business. I'm just to know that Satan plays part of it. Man plays the other part. And I can lift them up in prayer. And God does a work miraculously that no one understands. Yet never violating the free will of man. Ongoing resistance and rejection of the gospel will do one thing. And it will be by the individual. No one else will be responsible for it. The Jews kept hearing Jesus. In John 12, 39, they came to this condition. Listen very carefully. They could not believe. Not that they would not believe. They could not believe. Where a person hears and rejects, 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 and the heart gets so hard that they cross that line. And now they cannot believe. Second Thessalonians says that because they reject the love of the truth, God will give them over to the lie, the Antichrist, and they won't be able to believe. He gives them over for judgment. Real simple. Notice then, Paul the Apostle declared the gospel is affected by being a servant of sinners and saints. Paul stated, they were servants of the gospel to the Corinthians and ourselves, your bondservants. He includes here, as he has throughout the passage, the plural pronoun, ourselves. Paul, Silas, Timothy, all others that were true ministers in Corinth. He identified himself and others as bond servants. We've talked about this word bond servant before. It means um, a servant by choice. In the Old Testament, you would serve for six years. In the seventh year, you were released and you were given your money and whatever, depending how you came in, single, married, they would make those decisions. But if you thought that your master was so good that you could do no better for yourself, you would say, you know, master, I love you. I want to serve you for life. So they would take that servant, they would take him to the doorpost of his house, put his ear to the doorpost, get a hammer and all, make a hole in it, put an earring in it. When you saw a man with an earring, he was a, cho- a servant by choice for his master for life. Okay? That's the indication. This is the word right here. Bond servants to the Corinthians. That's how Paul saw himself. Not like the Judaizers with all the pomp and glory as Pharisees. Paul stated their service to the people was in view of Jesus, for Jesus' sake. The preacher is to be the servant of the people because Jesus is honored and glorified in and through the service to the people and because Jesus is their example. Look at 6. The apostle Paul declared the gospel is effective, listen, only by God. Paul stated salvation is a divine work, as at the creation of the world. What an incredible parallel. He reaches way back there. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. He recalled the feet of creation that was beyond any human capacity, yet God did it. By his very command, and therein is a parallel that we dare not miss. 
Salvation is God's creative act alone by his spirit, through his word. Paul recalled how there was darkness upon the face of the deep and the spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters. And then God said, let there be light. And there was light, Genesis 1, verse 2 and 3. A divine work. Paul stated they were saved by the divine work of God in order to preach to others the same gospel that saved them. The new covenant through Jesus was absolutely required revealing the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ for sinners to be saved. In fact, the last verse of chapter 3, the Christian with an unveiled face beholds as in the mirror the glory of the Lord and is being transformed into the same image of Christ from glory to glory by the Spirit. Unveiled face to face to Moses' old economy, a veil and a glory that's fading away. Jesus said, on the way, the truth, the life, no man comes to the Father but by me. Seems to be very clear to me. John 14, 6. The only name, Hebrews 4, 12. The only meteor, 1 Timothy 2, 5. What's the problem? Gospel's very clear. It's not confusing. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ, Colossians 1, 28. Christ. Preach the word, be ready in season, out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching, 2 Timothy 4, 2. The church today is dismissing the gospel, not teaching the word of God. They're trying to substitute the gospel under the guise of bettering the gospel. Well, you know, people aren't responding. It's not the same. So we're trying to, you know, so, so you, you're going to try all these little gimmick things and you're going to attract people and what you're interested in numbers and crowds and, and excitement and, and all this stuff and not the work of God. We are the instruments of God for the salvation of the lost. Listen to what he says in chapter 5, verse 20. A couple of chapters forward, he says, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf of be, be reconciled to God. We plead because we know what's going to happen if they die without Christ. We plead because we know what it is to be lost and feel guilty. We know what it is to be saved and forgiven and enjoy life. For we are his workmanship or handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Ephesians 2.10. Will we walk in them? It's the question. The gospel is effective through those imparting the preaching. Man, he hit it from every angle. Nailed it. Paul has declared his absolute confidence in the ministry of the new covenant to save sinners based on these three things. The gospel being effective in those preaching. The gospel being ineffective to those rejecting the preaching. And the gospel being effective through those imparting the preaching. Whether you respond to the gospel or not, it doesn't matter to me in terms of feeling effective or ineffective. I am effective by preaching the gospel. I have nothing to do with your response. It will not affect me. It will affect you. 
We pray that you would respond. But we know that only you can respond of your own will. Pastor Xavier Reese with three simple truths about the power of the gospel. And if you'd like a copy of today's challenging study from 2 Corinthians, it's called The Gospel of the New Testament, and we're making it available on CD for just $4. And this will also contain everything we heard the last time we were together as well. The title to ask for once again is The Gospel of the New Testament, or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please don't forget to include the call letters of this station when you contact us. What are the guidelines for spiritual living? Find out when you join Pastor Xavier Reese for the next edition of Simple Truths. Hope to see you then. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 